Welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Our special guest is a bobsledder. He has competed in two Winter Games for Team GB in the four-man discipline. His position is a brakeman. Some of his accolades include three gold medals in the North American Cup circuit and has experience in track and field as a sprinter. A warm, warm welcome to our special guest, Mr. Andrew Matthews. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, boys. I'm good. Good talking to you. How are you guys going? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, good, 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 good. Yeah, I'm all good, man. Do you know, it's really good to have you on because um, you are our third bobsledder that we've had on. And I think it's really um, increasing both Edwin and myself, our appetite in the actual sport. We think, again, it's um, an underrated sport and there's so many things that you can learn from it. So we're really happy to um, have you on. So, yeah, we really appreciate it. So we're going to start off. Yeah, we're going to start off with how we normally start. Um, it's really about just going all the way back. So what was your first living memory of a sport, either playing or mm. watching? Um, I think watching, probably. Watch, my first, it'd probably be like um, football, like Italia 90, the World Cup, Italia 90. Mm. I, remember, I remember bits of it, because like, I was, obviously I was very young. Um, mm. But I guess one that really sticks out in my mind was uh, Linford Christie at Barcelona 92. Um, when he won their gold, I remember like my my house, my living room going mental. My mum, my nan, everyone was screaming at the TV, going, "Yeah, live, like come on, Linford!" So that was a really big um, memory for me. Um, and then I guess competing myself, like for myself, it'd be just like like um, sprinting on the playground, just like, bossing people up on the playground. And everyone's going, "Oh yeah, you're fast." Yeah, me, and I think that's where um, just I'd play, I'd play football on the playground. I'd, I'd and then I'd, I'd go into like, we had two separate playgrounds on the, at my school. There was like the bigger, the the senior playground and the junior playground. And then all the yeah. senior boys would be like, yeah, come, come play football. This boy, that, that, little, that little black kid's fast, man. Yeah, let's put him on our team. <laughs> so then I'd, I'd go, over to, go over to the big playground and like, and play football with the, with the, like, the big boys. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of like my first uh, memories of sport. And then again, I, I guess going into after that, it was, um, I remember a bit of athletics as well in year year five and year six, getting selected for athletics teams, winning like long jump and like the hundred meters and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's sort of where it started. Yeah, so right, I'm a right. I'm a I'm a eighties baby. I was eighty four, born in eighty four. So mm-hmm. ninety two, I would have been six, and then so it was around that era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you were playing football and people say, oh, yeah, he's fast. Yeah, that black boy's fast. Yeah. In your mind, as a little kid, did you realise, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good? Or did they just, like, pass you by? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I knew, like, saying, I knew something. I was like, yeah, I didn't I didn't really, I was just like, yeah, I was happy I was playing with the older boys. I was like, happy to play football. I love football at the time. So I was like, yeah. yeah. And it didn't really sink in until later on, I think. You know, later I was like, yeah. right. Then like, I was actually, I had something. And it, do you know what, it was, um, is one of my friends, good friends, um, Carleen Turner, who's now Missy, and that surname's Missy Arnie. She used to do long jump, and her sister used to do long jump and triple jump. And um, and they kept saying to me, yo, you're fast, come to the athletics track, come down. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. And I always kept putting it off. And they're like, yeah, come down, come down, and train. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then it happened, yeah, like, it was a few years after, I saw her again. So we went to different secondary schools, and I see her after school one day, and she was like, are you, what are you doing? And why don't you come to the athletics track? And I was like, I'll come down and I'll, I'll try it out. And so 
so it was her it was a few years later that it wasn't until like secondary school really that I started to um to like actually think well I've got so I can do something yeah, I've got skills you know so so yeah I want to take it back to um Barcelona 92 watching yeah. Christie so one of the yeah. one of the great things about the UK is the coverage when they have a, a sporting hero it's yeah. in all the newspapers it's just all over the media and yeah. at, regardless of what age you are whether it's 6, 7, 19, 25 you end up getting you, you are part of this euphoria so mm. can you remember that feeling when Linford you know won or even prior to the race could, do you remember that feeling as a young child and just watching this this sporting icon. Yeah, I remember it clearly. I remember having butterflies in my belly when he was on the start line. And because my mom, everyone, <laughs> like, my family were going mad. So around me, I was thinking, wow, what's happening? Who's this geezer on TV? And then, um, and I was like, yeah. And then that, that's, when he won it, I was like, that's what I want to do. I knew straight, I was like, I want to, I want to be Linford Christie. I want to be like that. I want everyone in their living room screaming my name, saying, come on. And because and, at the time people were going to me, yeah, you're fast, you're fast. I was like, right, I could actually do this, you know, like, but again, back then it was like a thought. And then, but at the same time, I wanted to play football as well. So I was like, yeah. And it's like, uh, Ian Wright, Ian Wright was one of my heroes for Arsenal football players. Yeah. So he was like, I was like, yeah, I want to be like Ian Wright. I want to be, but that, that, I remember that day thinking Linford Christie, I want to be like Linford. Like, so yeah. Um, and then, so it happens just before I, just before I went to Bob say, I tra- I ended up training with Linford for four years. Okay. So, oh, wow. so yeah. So that was like, that was a, like a dream come true, pretty much. Two thousand seven, when I yeah. met him, I was like, "This is crazy," and, and that that's sort of what made me realize, like, I was on. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens the way it's meant to happen. You know, you just yeah. things get said, things get put in, like things get said over your life, and yeah, everything just pans out. And then, like, oh, I've always said, yeah, I went to Linford when I was I used to play football. It's another story when I used to play football on a Sunday morning, and like my coach. Well, my coaches, my football coaches, you go, they used to call me Little Linford. They used to say, yeah, Little Linford, mm. because I was quick. Do you get me? So it's, it's just one of those things. It's like, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was, but I remember that day, I remember it clearly. The but I always get, I had butterflies and um, yeah, I was just like, yeah, I knew that's the day that I was like, that's this is what I want to do. I want to run. Mm. You know, so so, so yeah, when, you, when you started training, yeah. um, how, how was that for you? Because obviously, Running quick in the playground is 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 one thing, but actually training yeah. races yeah. is another thing. How, how did that yeah. feel at the time? As in, what when I started to train? Yeah, I hated it. I hated it. It was hard. It was hard. Like, my coach was making me do like drills. He's going near yeah, drill, and then we were running all these. Dis- I felt. Sick. I remember throwing up after my first two runs because I'd I'd had. Oh, wow pasta before I went to training I ate literally like 45 <laughs> minutes before I, took, I mean 45 minutes I was thinking yeah I need to eat I need to eat lots of food and be strong and, and my nan was like yeah make sure you eat your food so she made me some wicked pasta I remember it, it was like bolognese it was nice <laughs> and then yeah that, it just come up the second run I was on the floor and I was like I hate training um, but yeah was, um, I think and at the, again at the time um, the coach that I had when I first, so I must have been about 17 when I actually really got serious. And when I first started training, and he was he was probably the best coach I ever had because he was like, not one, he was there. He went in it for himself. He was, he actually cared about me. He was, he knew what he was talking about. He was technical. He used to talk me through all the drills and he would turn up to every, like he was 
um, turned up to all my races. He was there for me. Do you know what I'm saying? And then, but at the time, I didn't see that. I was just like, oh, this kid is killing me. I hated it. And then in the end, we, en- we ended up having a bit of a fallout. Um, and I, was, I thought I knew better. I went to another coach. I went here, there, everywhere. And really, I never really could, like performed to the same sort of level as I did when I was with him. Do you know what I'm saying? So after that, so yeah. it's just, uh, yeah. So uh, it was, um, wow. it's, one, it's one of those things where you just, yeah, I go back to the original question. I hated training, <laughs> but it was mm-hmm. probably one of the best things I ever did training with him. And I learned so much from him. Looking back now, I learned everything I know. Well, not everything. I learned a lot of what I know um, from my first coach. So, yeah. You've got me kind of emotional about that because um, yeah. there's a there was a guy called um, Carl. So Carl, yeah. anyone that you know lives in you know my neck of the woods will know who Carl is, and um, yeah. he was a football coach, but he was Jamaican, very very traditional Jamaican, very strict, and mm. he had us really regimented. But because you know I was just young kid trying to be a a bad boy, what ended up happening is we used to clash a lot. But in mm. hindsight, he is the best coach I have ever had because mm. the thing that he did for me was he he created routines, he he created respect, he he improved, um, he definitely heightened my expectations of myself and the team. He honestly, I would honestly love to see him now and yeah. just thank him for all of those things he instilled in me. So with yeah. your coach. What yeah. are the one or two things? Can you just share just one or two things that he yeah. instilled in you in hindsight, even yeah. though it wasn't a, it was a bit of a messy breakup. Yeah. So I, I forgot, I didn't even mention his name. It's Simon, Simon Dubley. I've got to give him a shout out. He's a big coach. He's coached a few other athletes as well to a decent level. So shout out Simon. Um, but yeah, uh, he's, it was things about like turning up on time, time management, drilling properly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I remember one time, this was mad. We were driving to a race. He was taking me to, he used to take me everywhere. He take me to all my races. And we were driving somewhere on the motorway. And I think I did something stupid. I threw, I threw something out the window. Yeah. And he turned around. He goes, don't do that. Don't do that again. And I was like, oh, whatever. I thought I was bad boy. I knew everything. And I did it again. I threw something else out the window. I, think, I can't remember what it was I threw out, but I threw something. And literally, bro, he pulled over on the side shoulder. He turned around and he yelled at me. He's like, don't you ever do that again, bro. And they put me in my place. So I was like that. But that stuck with mm. me, and I was like, and I respected him for that. Now, at the time, I was like, raw. But do you know, it, it was, it was, he, and he, he weren't doing it to be a, to be a like a, 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 um, what's the word? To be a dickhead, so to speak. Sorry to swear, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he weren't trying, he weren't trying to be a dickhead. He was just saying, look, don't do that because then he, and then that that taught me. I was like, raw, that, I'm throwing, that's dangerous. Do you get me? I'm throwing stuff out the window. That's I'm on the motorway. Someone could get hurt. He get he could get points. He could get in trouble. So, yeah, man, and that that was one of the uh, one memory that really sticks out in my mind from um, from that. But he was he was like a father father figure when you, when I look at it. Um, just trying to discipline me and keep me in the right. But he had a good relationship with my mom. My mom and dad loved him. They loved him because they were like, you know, he was doing everything that was right. But I just couldn't see it at the time. I think drilling. He showed me the importance of training, of doing circuits and being in shape, acceleration, like he, he broke, he used to break things down. But at the time I was just like, I just want to run, you know, when like man's trying to do drills with you and I'm like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm fast. I was like, yeah, in my head, I'm thinking I'm fast. I can run. Just, just let me run. But he would take his time and he'd break and he could, he knew I was getting frustrated, but he would still, and he'd just keep going. 
And um, but yeah, I think I owe a lot to him definitely. About from even just continuing having that perseverance of not giving up when things don't go your way. Mm. Um, yeah, man, he was he was a real um, he's a proper coach. That's what I say. What I call a proper coach. Now, there's too many like coaches that don't. They're not in it for the athletes. They're in it for themselves. And they start going, mm-hmm. oh yeah, my athletes this and my athlete that. Mm-hmm. My. And the way I look at it, listen, there's no, to me, athletes don't belong to coaches. You know what I'm saying? Coaches yeah. are there to help the athletes at the end of the day. Coaches, I'm not saying coach, coaches are good. Obviously you need coaches, but they're there for the athletes. And I, and I say that now because I'm a coach myself. So I'm coaching. I'm like, no athlete belongs to me. If I can help you, I can help you. You know what I mean? If someone else can help you, I'd rather, I want you it's all about you. It's your story. It's not mine. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, um, I think uh, there's too many coaches that are just in it for themselves now. And, and Simon was, a, Simon was, when I look back now, he definitely wasn't in it for himself. Nah, they used to do it all for free. You weren't getting paid. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then you get all these, all these coaches from the, um, that are getting paid by the, the, um, the organized, the, organization. yeah, do you know what I mean? Getting paid by, like UK athletics or whatever, whoever they're getting paid by, they're doing it because they're getting paid. Where he was doing it out of his own pocket. Do you know what I'm saying? Traveling everywhere, yeah. taking me around the country. Yeah, man. So it's you. We just have to shout out the coaches that are doing it for them, for the athletes. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So when when you left him and you joined a yeah. new group, yeah, did you realize in in that time that? I may have made a mistake or were you um, yeah. too much in the mindset that now nah, after like think about me like don't worry about him yeah. yeah mate I was I thought I was the man in my head I'm thinking yeah nah I don't need time I don't need him I know I know it all now I went to and the thing is what was different as well I went to the group I went to I was training with all like we just had so much fun it was a bigger group mm-hmm. so it was just like I was out of my area so I used to live in Slough I was born in Slough mm-hmm. And then I used to, tra- I moved over, I was training in South London um, with another coach in South London. So I was training with like the likes of like uh, James Ellerton, Chris Lambert. Um, yeah, I know uh, Wade what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, okay, there you go. I'm not even going to mention yeah. the coach. I'm not going to say his name. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so I was over there um, and uh, it was just so much fun. And I just, I was just in the, I was just in the moment, like, I didn't, I thought I was doing better. I thought I knew better. I'm like, yeah, I'm training in London now with all these athletes. Like, I want to be good. And to be fair, the season, so literally I must have left um, Simon. Um, it was, it was, so I'd done, basically done a winter, a winter block with Simon and then I left him in like the April and then I trained with um, that other group. Um, and that season I ran a PB. Mm. You know what I mean? I went to, went to the European juniors and uh, so I thought in my head I'm thinking oh yeah I mean, I've done the right thing you know, I was giving all the credit to the new coach and but yeah but again hindsight's a wonderful thing mate 2020 vision mate in hindsight you know what I'm saying but um, but yeah uh, but yeah so yeah so yeah, still uh, like I said I thought I knew it all but yeah it wasn't definitely wasn't the right decision <laughs> I mean, I don't regret it. Like, and now looking back as well, I, like, I do regret it, but I don't know. Like, I met some of my good friends from there now. So, do you know what I mean? So I don't really regret it. it was, everything happens for a reason. It was meant to happen. Um, I trained with those people. I learned a lot there. I did learn a lot. 
Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, so you've mentioned on a couple of occasions about, yeah. you know, you thought, you thought, you know, you knew it all. So mm. back then in hindsight, best describe yourself in three words. Ooh. Um, as in back how I was. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'd say, uh, young, arrogant, and clueless, really. Wow, yeah, okay. clueless. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, yeah, I've never really, no one's ever really asked me that before, but yeah, that's deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah, know, yeah, you know, yeah. arrogance. Yeah. So, so I've spoken about this with someone yeah. before. So, do you, do, do you, were you just too arrogant or in hindsight, thinking about, it, do you think that yeah. the uh, arrogance has a part to play in, in an athlete? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It does. I think um, I, I say when I say arrogant, I, I feel like I was still a fairly humble. I was I wasn't like I wasn't saying, oh yeah, I'm this, I'm good. Look at me, I'm the best. But inside, I I, was, I thought I knew, you know. So, um, and yeah, you do need, especially in individual sport, you do need that arrogance. You need that swagger. You need to have that aura about you when you're just walking on the track and people going, yeah. And I've I've heard it. I've I've been I was on the track at the time. People going, oh yeah, yeah, that's Andrew. He's run, he's run this, and then they come up to me at the time and go, oh yeah, what's your PB? And then you know everyone does it. What's your PB? Yeah, yeah you're fast, <laughs> isn't it? You're fast. I was like, yeah. Inside, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm sick, bro. I want to slap you. Bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, but, you know what I'm saying? But um, but yeah. So I was just say like, I wasn't. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't think I was outwardly arrogant, but just internally, I just thought, yeah, I know it all, and I'm. I'm good. Um, but yeah, I think, boy, it, it took, um, it, it took, it took a while as well after, cause I got, I used to get injured. A lot. I got injured a lot in that period as well while I was there. And it took the, mm. the injuries to sort of like, raw reel it in and bring me back to bring it back to reality and be like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not as good as I think I am. You know? Um, and then mm. people started to go, people started going past me. Um, yeah. So I think that was a, I, th- I pulled my hamstring 2006. I probably like tore mm. it up and I done like a grade three or something. It was bad. Mm. And I did it, I did it in a race. And the thing is I did it in a race. I was in Latvia and I raced, I was, I was running. I did it at about probably 70 meters. Uh, and I crossed the line in 1050 mm. something, 1059. And I was like, fuck, but I was, I was obviously, like last, I come last, but yeah. I think I was, I, in my head I was thinking, well, I was just going to run a PB there. I was going to run, I'd already run mm-hmm. 10, 10, I can't remember what I'd run by then, but I think, yeah, I'm going to PB easy. And, um, but yeah, I think it, it took injury to bring me back to reality and humble me and be like, no, like, I don't know everything. Mm. So when it, when you were coming back from injury, mm. because of um, it humbling you, did, did the confidence yeah. level completely drop to, from where it was before? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred. I never got mm. back after that. After that, so mm. that was in wow. That was in two thousand and six. I pulled my ass, and I couldn't. I couldn't like. I think, especially with a hamstring, you always, as an athlete, you always think I'm gonna pull it. And then, but it, it seemed like everyone at the time was. I had. A, I'd been funded as well by UK Athletics. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, as soon as that happened, I was thinking, right, cool. They're gonna obviously see that I've got a hamstring injury. They were like, they'll support me the next year. Nah, they weren't having none of it. They were like, nah, we dropped me off funding. So that that went. So I was getting no physio. I was having to pay for physio, go to see. Um, 
Uh, in fact, actually, no, that's a lie because um, the coach that I was with, he was he knew John Allen. He's a good physio, sure. and he had a little sure. link with that group. So to be fair, I was I was going to see him, but then it seemed like even then it seemed like right, John ain't really got time for me. He's he's obviously he's seeing me for nothing basically. So he's obviously got his. So I'd be in there for like half an hour, a quick in and out, done, and then it'd be like next. That's what I felt like. So it wasn't it was like I wasn't really getting looked after. I didn't have the right advice. People weren't saying the right things. My coach wasn't. It was like, it was one of them ones in that group. It was like, if you weren't running fast, forget about it. See you later. You know them ones. So I wasn't getting attention. Yeah. I turned up to training and all that. When I was getting all that attention before, when I thought I was running pretty quick, I was a fairly quick junior. So I'd run, I'd run 10, 10 free as a junior. Um, so I was like, yeah, I was getting all this attention and then I come back and then nothing. <laughs> so then, yeah, that sort of, that killed my confidence, man. Killed it. Um, and I never really got, I never ran a, anything close. I think I ran 10.5 after that. Um, and it's just, but then after that, after that, it was just literally a, a roller coaster of injuries. Injury after injury, I'd pull my adductor, my cut, every muscle you could think about, I probably pulled it mm. after that. It was just a negative. I tried to fix one thing next just before I was about to compete something something would go wrong um, so yeah confidence wise confidence killed me and then obviously the injuries it just I just never got back to to where I was wow wow yeah wow. yeah yeah, yeah. I don't even made. know I don't even know where to go um, the, the most wow. frustrating um, yeah so yeah so I think wow like I said when you like I said when you're running when you are I say I say running fast. It was look at on the scale of it. It wasn't that fast, but at the time, I think um, I'd. Well, so I went to I'd um, qualified as the fastest like under twenty three in Europe or something for the under twenty three. Mm. So they did the under twenty three. So I'd run ten thirty six, and I did I ran ten three yeah. easy as well. It was at the I ran out of the senior trials. Um, mm. I remember it in a, at the um, but I'd already qualified for the. For the under twenty three, so it was one of them races where I was just, I just, I was chill. I wasn't really thinking about. It. I was just go out there, relax, run, um, and then yeah. So after I'd done that, after after running them sort of times, and then thinking right, the next thing I'm gonna run ten two ten three because at the time I could run if I'd run ten twenty one, then you get selected for t- for uh, senior teams. So to me, I was just I was always thinking ahead. What's the next step? Next, yeah, I can run if I do this, if I do that. I, that was a, a major thing that held me back because I kept thinking if what if this what if I do that if I do this and mm. every time I was thinking those things if 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 it was just building up it was become like a pressure on me you know what I mean I was okay. like oh yeah I need to I have to run 10 20 now I have to run I have to run quicker I have to run quicker rather than just going out there and enjoying it enjoying my running and like I said when I ran the 10 free I was easy I weren't thinking about anything I was just like yeah cool I've really qualified for the European <laughs> freeze I'm just gonna mm. go out and have fun and then um, yeah, the PB and then the PB came. So, so yeah, um, it, it all it wow. all plays plays a massive, uh, massive, massive role and has a massive effect. With regards to lottery funding, um, yeah. that's something that's been spoken about as well on you know this podcast, and it's something that I really want to um, speak more about because I do think that it's something that is underwhelmed or underwhelming in yeah. terms of coverage. And it's something that's really important to a lot of athletes. So um, I don't want to ask you a similar question that I've asked um, 
previous guests. But what I would say is, um, if in hindsight, if you was to go back and you were given the opportunity to almost forward think in the yeah it, yeah just to forward think about knowing or knowing that this could be taken away from you at any given time what things would you have in place to ensure that if something like an injury was to happen and they were going to take that um, um funding away from you yeah. um you would be okay so what things would you have um yeah put in place um i think just preparing my mind just preparing for it just be able to because at the time i thought i didn't think you could cut like once you was on it i just assumed that that was it for you know mm. obviously performances but just being prepared to be like of them saying nah we're not going to help you anymore i think just having that in my mindset just being ready be like then i'll be like because now you can like you can get bad news anytime and I think it's yeah, it's now it's about just being being like prepared how to take it. Like I expect, yeah. I sort of have that level of expectation of now, like yeah, anything can go wrong, you know. But at the time, I didn't think anything was going to go wrong. I thought, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. So it just it just came as a surprise to me. I think being mm. pre- mentally prepared, I think there's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what what made you decide to move to Bobsleigh, mate? I I didn't want to do it. I didn't. I was like, nah, this is ridiculous. Like, and everyone said, as soon as I said it, mentioned it, everyone was like, yeah, go on, this sandcar, go on, like, do Bob say. I was like, nah, man. <laughs> Not me. But so, so it started, it basically started, yeah. Um, so I was obviously training with Linford. So for 2007 up to 2011, I was training with Linford. And in that period, I was just injured pretty much every season. Um, and then Linford, in the last season, Linford was like, why don't you just try and do bobsay? And I was like, mm. I was like, nah. <laughs> like, this is track and field is my passion. This is what I want to do. Um, and then a few and then a few other people mentioned it as well. They're like, look, your start is wicked. You've got great acceleration. Like, you've, over 60, you get out on most people. Um, so just, listen, this is a great attribute for bobsay. And then I met this, this other guy called Chris Huff in the Assault. I saw him at a competition, I think, and he's like, mate, he goes, I'm doing Bob's Day. He's like, you should come down. You'd be, you'd be brilliant at it. And then that was sort of like the last, that was sort of forgotten about. And then obviously 2012 came, went to the trials. I was injured that season leading up to 2012. And then at the trials, I was hurt even before I got to the trials. But I was like, do you know, this is the, my, probably my last chance because I've been training since 2001. And it's a home game. So I'm just going to go there, go on the line. But I went to the, got it to the heat. I went. Out, I didn't even finish the heat. I straight. I pulled my doctor in the in the heat at the oh, wow. thing, and I remember just sitting in the in the warm up area after, just thinking, "This is what like is this what it's all about? This is what I've trained eleven years for." And then that that just come back to me. The thing about well, I could still go to Olympics. Someone was like, "Yeah." Someone else mentioned it like Bob say, "Do like you can do Bob say." And I was like, "Right." And he goes, "Yeah, there's an Olympics in two years." I was like, "Huh?" I was like, "Ah, oh, okay." And then that was it. So then, literally, I sent an email to um their performance coach at Bobsey. Uh and he was like he's like, Yeah, well, look, we've got testing. They've really started their this was in like the July two thousand twelve and they said that they've really started their their program for the year. But just come down and do some testing once I get myself fit. And once you get yourself fit then we'll just see where you're at. So that was in I didn't get down there till like August because my doc, end of August because my doctor was like it was pretty bad. Um, and then, 
uh, yeah, and then that was it. The rest is history. I went there, went to testing. They'd already had like I think ten people on the program from before they'd been brought through, um, but I managed to get and get onto that program. Um, and then by so that was the August. 2012 and by October 2012 I was on the ice I was standing on top of the mountain in Germany like in my life thinking what am I doing it <laughs> um, so yeah it was it was a pretty rapid transition but it was it was a, it was a again it was one of those things where people had mentioned it to me they said it and I was like nah I'm not doing it I'm not doing it but it was a it was literally the fact of well there's an Olympics I'll get a chance to go to the Olympics and this is what I've been training for for the last 11 11 years so what what type of information did you have to learn because you know track and field and bobsleigh I know um, Montel Douglas she she um, mentioned that there are similarities but were there any other specifics that you had to learn Mm. um, before you actually started training I had to to learn how to get on with people like I had like as a team you get me as as an athlete it's an individual thing I just had to be around people and like in people's other's pockets day in day out, I think that was probably the hardest thing. Um, but as a as a sport itself, um, just learning about the sled, the mechanics of the sled, how it works, um, all the graft that goes with it. So you don't just turn up on a start line and push. Like there's all the stuff that goes on before. So you got to um, you got to learn how to put the runners on the bottom of the sled. They're like the blades that go on the bottom. You got to learn how to. Um, even you don't like obviously the drivers need to know about steering but as a brakeman it's good to know what they're doing in the front as well so you sort of you hang around and you sort of start to learn the mechanics of how they how the sled, how the sled moves um and then like polishing runners um lifting even the sled and how to lift the sled lift it and turn it like so basically before mm. before a training run you you're you basically carry the sled to the block yourself you ain't got no one doing it for you it's all like Graph, so it's it's been have been a robust. As thinking about being an athlete, you just turn up to the track in your spikes. You get me spikes, and you want yeah. this. You got to prepare. So it's all about, and then it all started coming back. So you see, when I was saying about Simon teaching me about time management, being on time, stuff like that. Because yeah, as an athlete, yeah. you could just turn like me. I felt like I could just turn up whenever. Here now, you got to be <laughs> five ten minutes early because otherwise, everyone's waiting for you. The bus is waiting. If the bus is waiting, you don't want to be the last one on the bus. Because, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's it's one of those things where it's just, I learned a lot of life skills. I learned how to, I've driven, I drove across Europe. I drove thousands of miles across Europe, backwards and forwards to different mm-hmm. destinations. So it, it's it's a whole, um, it's a whole catalogue of things that just change, especially from being a track athlete. It just changes everything. Yeah. So yeah, I learned how to, to learn a lot. Learn how to get around people. Learn how to how to operate the sled. Learn how to push. Pushing is a another skill in itself. Just a technique of yeah. of hitting. So you don't like. There's been a lot of. Um, there's obviously there's a lot of athletes that transfer over, to, like sprinters, as you said. But it's not just a t- case of turning up and pushing it. You have to learn how to how to hit the sled. And so when you say hit, get it from. It's a 220 kilo sled. So you got to learn how to get that from a stationary to like to as quick as you can to get it to accelerate as quickly as you can, get it off the mark and move. So it's it's um yeah it's a it's it's completely completely it's the same same skill set with speed, power, strength, but the way you apply it is completely different. 
So, mm. so yeah, that that um that took a lot. Um, that took a lot, and I think again, if you there were times where there were people around me that they used to annoy me. So that when you've got that added on, mm. when you're living with people and you're like. Oh, I've got to deal with you and then I've got to go and do all this stuff. I've got to be in the garage for two hours after we train, fixing up the sled, put it, packing it all away. And all you want to do, you just get, you, you find yourself getting into like mad moods. Like I just angry. All I want to do is eat and go to sleep. And everyone wants to have a laugh and joke. And I'm like, nah, because obviously they've been, a lot of them have been doing it for a while that we were with. So they were used to that lifestyle. And me, obviously others had come from other team sports. So they play, some come from rugby. Um, other teams and whereas me I was just like yeah nah. I was just uh, that individual I just wanted to put my headphones on put my head that like, put my hood up and just, just leave me alone do you know what I mean but then I again I, over the years yeah. I, took, I learned I did it six years and I think the first year was probably the worst um, and then after that you sort of just you just get into it you know you just get into it like actually nah do you know what you saying you just make it what it is it's not as bad as as um, yeah it's not as bad as you think as you actually think it is how did you mentally prepare yourself for for things like crashes happening? Um, yeah, that was. I think that was a, one of the scariest things. I think when I first when I first went down, it was like I don't think you you actually you can push, but I think it's a it's a barrier you can't push properly until you actually have a crash. Like for me, that's what it was. After mm. I crashed in training, I was like, right, that's what it feels like to crash. It's not really going to get much worse than that. But before, it's like mm-hmm. every push, I was like, nah, we're going to crash. We're going to crash. What if we crash? And as you, you push in, so you, you can never push 100%. And you get in, and for, as soon as you get in, you're just thinking every rattle, every time you tap, you're like, oh, something, something bad's going to happen. But then I think once you, like I said, once we crashed, my mind was like, nah, now I, I can sort of forget about that crashing element. I'm not worried about that anymore. I can just focus on my pushing. Um, and then that's when that result started to come. You start, you start to improve. But again, like when I first started, so I was in Bath. We were in, I was in Bath where the push track is, and um, so you just push on a trolley. There's no ice, obviously, in in the UK. So you just push on a trolley. So you push this trolley, it goes downhill. You jump in, it goes down the end, it comes back. I was like, oh, this is easy, this is calm. And then the reality mm-hmm. is, when you're standing on the ice and you're like, whoa, there's no. Once I get in, that's it. Like we're gone. We're going downhill at 80, 90 miles an hour. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the um, that's one. Of the, I think to that's that was really scary. But to to block it, well, I, I just used to, I guess music music helped me as well. I used to have my headphones on and just not focus, not not think about it. But before we crashed, there was no getting rid of it. I was just I was scared all the time. My first, and that was probably my first my first maybe month two months on ice. I didn't crash. Yeah. And then after that, then we started. Then we tipped over a few times, and I was like, "Right, okay, yeah, now I'm now I'm good to go." They, they, it didn't after we crashed. I wasn't really scared. And um, there were tracks that you would you would fear because even the drivers would be going, "Oh, oh, mate, there's a track called Lake Placid in New York." Mm-hmm. All the drivers are going, "Oh, mate," and you see you see you see the fear in the change rooms of the drivers. So when you see them scared, you're thinking, yeah. "Bruv, like, are you going to get me down?" I used to go to him. Are you going to get me down today? You make sure. Make sure you don't crash me, you know. You used to tell him, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, you just, you just, after a while, you just, you block it out. And as an athlete, as an elite, elite athlete, you have to be able to, 
you have to be able to overcome all that. Any fears you have, you mm. have to. And that, and I realized that, like I said, after I crashed, I realized that that was that was what had been holding me back. It's the fact that we hadn't crashed and it was the fear of crashing. But once you get rid of that fear and it goes for anything and it, it sort of goes back to a previous question where um, like I was so confident. I, I became confident now in bobsleigh more than I was in athletics because I knew I knew I wasn't going to run over um, that 60 meters, for example. So the way I, I knew I wasn't going to pull my hamstring. So I was like, right, I know now, and I know how to sort my duct. I know I can fix my duct. I know I'm powerful, I'm strong. All I've got to do is accelerate. So that confidence there mm-hmm. already, I don't have to worry about anyone coming past me because I used to get out in 100 meters. I'd get out to 60 yeah. and I'd be in front. Now I don't have to worry about no one coming past me. So all that's gone. All that thinking, all I'm doing is pushing the sled and getting in. And then, yeah, so, so yeah. That's okay. One of the things that, I find fascinating with regards to yourself and some of the other um, bobsledders that we have interviewed is that they enter it at a more mature age. Now, when you compare a really young person at ages of 16 to 17, they go into a new sport or if it was in football, they go into the first team. There's almost that fearless kind of element to them. They just go in, they don't care. They're expressing themselves. Um, and then you see as they get older, that fear comes into them. They're not as you know expressive as they once were. So I guess my next question to you is because you entered a new sport um, at a more mature age, um, when it came to your first competition, did you have that young self, that fearless element to you? Or did you have that kind of fear where it was, oh my goodness, this has been a very quick transition. Yeah. What is going on? Like, talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah, I think I think that that sort of feeling came in the training. In the training. So in the training runs, like I said, because it was like there was no one there. There was no cameras. So all that fear of like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Like, if I die here, no one's <laughs> going to know about it because we're just in the middle of the woods. Like, there's no one here. But I think when it comes to the race, I was confident. I was like, I've competed internationally. I've competed for Great Britain. And I used to think, I used to feel like I was one of the better athletes there on that circuit. Um, so yeah, yeah, so I was kind of, that fear element of competing wasn't there for me. I was confident. And then I think the, the first time I felt like fear for competing was the, for my first Olympics. Um, and that was in Russia. And that, like, is literally everything. I was fine until literally, and then we walked out. We walked out. And as you're walking out to the sled, then you're thinking, raw. Like the first thing in my head was like, well, millions of people watching this. Like, before mm-hmm. I'd been like a few people, no one usually even watch athletics really. Like the biggest I'd, race that I'd been watched was probably the trials. I'd been to the trials and it'd been on TV. I probably didn't even make the semi-final or something. But, but now, um, I'm like, I think that was probably the biggest, um, yeah, the way I had like a fear. But then even after, after the first run, at the Olympics, then it was gone again. And I was like, "All right, we've done it. That's the that's the biggest." Now we're now I'm back. We got we had four runs, and um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. So speak to us a little bit about how you felt mentally when you got selected to go to the Olympics. So obviously, you you tried your best at um, track track and field. You yeah. tried at athletics. Yeah. Um. How did you How did you feel mentally at the time? Um. Is there a bit of a relief? Um, but I'll go back a bit because so originally when I got selected for Sochi I was only selected as a spare so another mm-hmm. athlete okay. who'd come over to the sport um, it was Craig Pickering he'd come from a track and field 
to Bob. So he would yeah. he was on the sled in front of me. Um, so I'd been selected as a. He came in fact he came over later than me, but he tested really well, and so they decided to put him on the sled in front of me. So I was like, oh, okay. But in my head, like I got like it's mad because I got faith. I've always had faith. Like I believe in God, and I was like, everything happens for a reason. I'm here for a reason. But I was in my head. I was I kept even. I was saying to my teammates even before I was like, yeah. I'm going to the Olympics. Like when we go to, I used to say like, oh, when we go to the Olympics, when when we get there, and they're like, oh yeah, but mate, we ain't even been selected yet. I was like, trust me, I'm going. Like I just had this thing in my head. I was like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to be that Olympics. Um. So yeah, so going so going back there. When I got there, I was I hadn't even I got selected as a spare. So while I was out in Sochi, I was just training. I was like, right, I'm training because I'm. I, was, I kept saying I'm going to compete. If I compete, I need to be ready. I need to be ready. I have to be ready. So I was training. And then there was an issue, and then it literally happened like um, we must have been out there. We went out there. I went out there for. I was out there from the beginning, so I went out there for four weeks in total. And the rest of the guys had stayed back because I went out there with the driver to help him like acclimatize the track and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so I was out there training, and then I heard the news that Craig got injured in training camp. Um, and then it was like I literally I'd have to be. And he was must have been about four, no, maybe he probably he probably must have been about eight kilos heavier than me. So weight in Bob say weight's a mm. massive thing. So I was like, right. Yeah. And then Lamin, my driver, he was like, mate, you need to eat. You better start eating. So I literally what I was doing, I was training. I wake <laughs> up in the morning, I was training, go to the gym, I'd eat that's a protein shake, go to the canteen. And canteen was like twenty four hours, twenty four hour food at the Olympics. So it was like, yeah, I was just wow. so literally I was prepared. I, I put on like four kilos. Four kilos, oh, wow! Space of like two weeks, and then I still, and I still, I still, I'm getting onto that because I still didn't know I was gonna, I was gonna compete. So what had happened is the, the um, the coach had said, oh, I was a mad, it was madness. So I, obviously I'd heard it on the grapevine that Craig had been injured. It hadn't been mentioned to us officially, but I'm thinking, well, obviously I'm going in. Um, and then what they, what the coach had decided to do is like, so there was two sleds, right? There's a GB one and GB two. I was GB two. Uh, the team on GB1 uh, Joel uh, and he'd had a he was there was a potential that he was injured as well but obviously they were the hopefuls for a medal so the coach was saying right if Joel goes down we need someone to replace him and I was the only person that could replace him so he wanted to keep me as a spare at the Olympic Games even when Craig had gone down they were going to bring someone else out to take Craig's place and keep me as a spare at the Olympics does that make sense so I was really out there I was thinking I'm at the Games um, there's a spot there let me just go in it but they're like nah we need to keep you ready because mm-hmm. if Joel goes down that's our that's, that's our medal hopes there and I was like mm-hmm. oh, so at the time I didn't know I was competing at in Sochi until guaranteed until like 20 maybe 36 hours before before I competed so that was mm-hmm. madness my whole my mind was was all over the place and that was another reason why I was nervous going out for the first run because I was like raw um, nah it's pressure because that but yeah, so yeah, it it all worked out in the end. Um, yeah, it it did work out in the end, yeah. and I want to go back to why it worked out in the end yeah. because it was about belief, and yeah. you know, this is this is why we do this. You know, this podcast is about the mind, and it's this belief. And I still feel that um, if we just just take belief, just what it is, like forget the religious element, mm-hmm. forget or. Um, uh, the self-development industry, if we just look at just what it is, yeah. um, belief, 
Um, how would you explain to your mentees the importance of belief in the discipline, whether it's track and field, whether it's bobsleigh? How, how would you go about explaining to them the absolute importance and actually what it does to you and the manifestations that it creates yeah. within you? The, well, it's, if you don't believe, if you don't believe in yourself, then no one else is going to believe in you more. You are the, you're the person that's going to believe in yourself the most. So if you can't motivate yourself to think, right, this is what, and just have that confidence of being like, right. And it, it, it just like given 100% in, in, in everything. Cause what a lot of the time people that they, they don't believe, so they give it, they go half high. They're like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, like, I might not. And they start putting other people in front. Oh yeah. Well, this person might do this. This person might do that. So, but elite sport is about, is about what you can, fo- how you focus your mind, how, if you can't focus your mind solely on what you're trying to do on that specific thing and start thinking about external factors, then it's gone. It's gone and start thinking about, there's things that you can't control. So Andrew, in terms of, if you were to speak to your younger self now, what three words would you use? What, yeah. So what three words would you use to basically say you would need as a, athlete or Bob Slayer? Um, so I would say have confidence. Mm. Um, confidence. I'd say perseverance. Yeah. Um, you know, just don't give up. Don't, because there was time, there were definitely times when I nearly, I was about to, well, like I said, I was about to give up in 2012 before I changed over. So mm. that's a big one for me. Um, and I'd say like, just be humble. You know? Just be more humble. Humble is a big one because like I said, there's times when I thought I had, I could, I thought I was Superman. Mm. Um, and I clearly wasn't, I was nowhere near, you know, but it's just, it, and it took, it, it take, it took external factors to humble me. And and I'm happy that I'm happy that I went through that process. Um, but yeah, so I say humble, uh, be confident, and um, and perseverance. Okay, just don't give up. Don't give up. You briefly mentioned earlier about being uh, a coach slash trainer. So in terms of you, you know your dual careers, what one or two things are you take that you have taken from your dual career into your coaching um i guess it's 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 what i've um what i've learned from all the different coaches that i've worked with so i've worked with loads of different coaches obviously my first coach i said simon dubley um i've worked with lynn for christie i worked with michael Kamel. um so just taking like bits of knowledge from from all these um, people it'd just be to try and to try and like I said there's, every athlete's different yeah. every athlete's different and I think there's different things that work for different athletes and I try not to I feel like a lot of old school coaches were just like have a generic generic program yeah like everyone's doing this everyone's running like six four hundreds I'm like right uh, you know I me mean? I run 100 meters while I'm running six like you know that's, mm-hmm. that sort of thing so now I try to I tried the athletes that I work with. I tried to make things more specific, 
for them. Mm. Um, and that's not saying they don't do any like what they call donkey work. You still got to work hard and put that speed endurance in. And but I try to make it more specific and not just copy what like other coaches were doing, copy what people were doing in the past. I do a lot now. I, I do a lot of research into everything mm. before I just say, oh yeah, let's go and do this. I research it and and see what things work. And I, I tell the athletes, I'm honest with the athletes. I think I think. It, Going back to another question, I'll say to the what you're saying about what three things would I tell my younger self? But I say ask questions because athletes now need to ask questions about why they're doing things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So I used to just do things. I used to just, especially, especially when I was working with Linford because it was Linford. I was like, I'm doing whatever you tell me to do, <laughs> like whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like it's like now, it's, I think athletes need to ask the questions. Why is it? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? is it like going to work for me? And then, but you've got to have that balance as well. Cause there's some athletes that just, they will question everything mm-hmm. and it's like, just shut up and do what I'm telling yeah. you to do. But at the same time, you've got to know, you know what I'm saying? You've got to have like me now, I've got an understanding of why I was doing drills. Yeah. Why? And the whole time after I left Simon, I don't think after I left Simon, I don't think I did a drill properly since I left him. Mm-hmm. Like until I met, met up with Michael Kamel after yeah. and then started doing drills with Michael. And then, and that was a, big gap that was maybe what 10 years no like 8 years yeah. no you get I wasn't doing the, the simple basic drills properly which is like and when you look at it the drills for me the drill, drills are pretty much the foundation of, oh, of sprinting yeah, yeah and moving in the right pattern te- being technically correct so um, so yeah so I just try to um, to implement that now with the, the guys that I work with I'm like look this, let me explain to you what we're doing why we're doing it and so that you've got a bit of an understanding. When you understand what you're doing, sometimes you can do it better. So I try to explain everything to them and then hopefully, and then try to be more specific in their training and tailor it to them as opposed to just doing generic um, yeah. donkey work, as they call it. <laughs> Fair play. Uh, yeah. Last question. Uh, yeah. If your career was to be put into a movie um, who would yeah. who would play you? <laughs> and <laughs> and what? I'm going to say Denzel in it. Denzel just a bad boy. That's only, that's but, but yeah, now nah, go on. So Denzel <laughs> um, would play you, and what, yeah. what would be the t- what would yeah. be the name of the movie? Oh, Run for Your Life. Interesting. Run for Your Life. Because I feel like I feel like that's what that's that's how I felt. I used to feel. Like a lot, a lot of my races, um, and even training, I was like, every time I'm running, I'm literally running to to like get a better life, running to make sure that I can, like, I'm the best. To running that to make sure I can earn money. I think I was thinking that's it. If I run fast, I'm gonna be, I can earn money. If I run fast, this is gonna. And like I said before, I was thinking about what was gonna happen after if I ran fast. Um, and I think yeah, I think it's just the the fact that. I just didn't give up and I just kept running and I, and it, it did change my life in the end running running whether it wasn't actually running that I made it to Olympics for but it was running that got me to the Olympic Games that I went to mm. you know what I mean so it was literally and it changed, it did change my life I've been to two Olympic Games it opened up doors for me um, even the, the role that I'm in now here in Australia has opened up because I've been to two Olympics do you know what I mean so it's um, yeah I'll say that's quite a fitting title run for, run for your life yeah same um, I like that one but yeah yeah that was um, that's a good it's one just, yeah cool um yeah this was this was um a really 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 good 
podcast actually I really enjoyed it I think for me yeah. personally one of the the things that I'm going to take away for me personally was you know when you went through your your injuries and because you you had a, a you almost had you know you know I, I won't quote you but you you already had this confidence <laughs> you already had this confidence about you but then going off going from injury to injury you lost all of that confidence remember people were talking about you um you know mm-hmm. your name was about and then all of a sudden your name is not there so for me it's really just really um it's just the the the, the setbacks for me personally that's mm-hmm. something that's really important and this is why we love these podcasts so much because yeah. It's not really, it's not just about sporting athletes. It's actually life. It's, yeah, life. It's life, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the beauty of it. It's life. And I think this has set me up for life now. Yeah. And all the disappointments that I've been through. And that's why I was saying, yeah, before, like, I feel like I'm ready for now for for anything. I'm ready for things. You know, like, if something's going wrong, I'll be, I'll be ready. I'll be prepared. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I've been in some of the worst situations when it comes to sport. Like, not being selected, not being like my first Olympics, not being selected for my first Olympics, going as a spare, not finding out till 36 hours before yeah. if I was going to compete or not. That being dropped from squads, getting injured, running fast and then getting dropped off funding, like low, all these different things. I just feel like it's just set me up. It's set me up nicely to just to do what I do now and to be to be prepared for what's what's to come, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Ups and downs of life, really. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Like, like everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through it. Um, and it's just, it is literally, it's so, it's so cliche, but it's how you deal with a situation. Everyone goes through situations. It's just how you deal with it that, that will get you through it. You know what I mean? I, I, um, there's a quote of like, it's, there's, um, you can get like, you, certain situations in life bring you to your knees, but it's what you do when you're on your knees. That's like, that's the most important thing. And like, for me, like, it's my faith. I'm, and praying and be like, right, let's go again. You know what I mean? Let's go. It's, there's no, no one's going to help you down there. No one's going to feel sorry for you. This is all, like, you got to get up and do this yourself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And go. So it's having that mindset. And it's easier said than done. It is easier said than done. There's people have been in a lot of worse situations than, than struggling to make a team. In, in life, do you know what I'm saying? In life, in real life situations, people going through it. But at the end of the day, it starts like, it starts with what's in your head. It starts with you. Um, having confidence in yourself and knowing that there is either there's help out there or there's there's people going through exactly the same as you, if not worse. Um, just picking yourself up and and going. Don't feel sorry. You can't feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. You can't. You can't. You ain't got. You ain't got no time. <laughs> you've got no time to feel sorry for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. That Andrew, really, really, really um, appreciate you taking some time out. Um, you're in Australia, yeah. so yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, our listeners will definitely have taken quite a lot. I, I myself, as I've just said, have taken something, and it's definitely something I'm going to implement into my own life. Um, just little things. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> little things. Thank you for having me on, man. No, it was good. Yeah, and I uh, think so um, I think I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. I know he was being interviewed actually, yeah. and I remember Joe Rogan yeah. saying that's why podcasts are the way that they are is because they're unfiltered yeah. and people just talk. And the reason why yeah. I think I didn't even know this was a phrase, but long form. So long form podcasting yeah. is what Joe Rogan does. You know, the three hours, three and a half hour podcast. And he yeah. said the reason yeah. why it works so much is that 
in the early stages, like say in the first half an hour, people are still warming up. But the longer you go on, that's where you really get the, you know, the gems. And I think with yourself, because you you spoke so much, yeah, it's to you, it sounds like you're rambling. But to us, you have given a lot of gems, a lot, a lot of gems. So we appreciate, yeah, we really appreciate those that, you know, um, are, let's just say, comfortable, comfortable with um, sharing more than others. And and we have to say appreciate because, guys, listen to podcast one with myself and Ed and just hear the way we were compared to the way we are now. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't as confident, you know, so we have to still appreciate those that didn't have, that don't yeah, have much cool. to say. So, you know, both yeah. sides of the coin, Absolutely. It doesn't matter. Um, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Last thing, um, Andrew, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Shaped Not Faded. Nice. Um, and Instagram, Mr. Matthews 100. Cool. cool yeah, man. Cool. So shout me. Follow me. Um, yeah, man. Just follow my journey, mate. My Australian journey. That's it. That's it. I'm sure it, yeah. that's its own story in itself. So, yeah. Make sure that you start um, following. Okay, guys, if you are a regular listener, thank you again, uh, Edwin. This is the second time I've forgotten this, but we're not gonna we're not gonna get rid of this because this is unfiltered. If you are a regular listener, continue. No, if you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, thank you and continue to share. And until next time, guys, stay safe, stay blessed. <laughs>